In this episode, we do some in-depth analysis of the horror genre and its usual tropes, followed by an in-depth analysis into what the hell is going on in the new Dark Knight Returns one-shot. It's all happening now on Cover B. What's up, everybody? Happy weekend. Welcome back to Cover Fools. B. What? No, don't be aggressive trying, toward the listeners. A new, like aggressive intro. Thing. No, that's not. No. Sup, nerds? Whoa, no, we're nerds. Be nice. True. We want them to come back. You want to be nice to these people. This could be their first time hearing sit us. Sit down, shut up, and listen to comics. Oh my God, no, you sit down and shut up. You talk yes, about comics. Yes, ma'am. Don't you be rude to my listeners. I'm sorry. That was very rude. I'm sorry, it was. That's what I thought. I'm T. This I'm... butthole over here is Chris. <laughs> I am Chris. He's a butt. I am a butt. You ignore him. And we're going to talk about comics. We are going to talk about comics. That's, That's right. First up, I want to talk about Red Mother, number one. That was a good book. It was I pretty good. I also read that book. It was from, uh, that's from Boom, yeah. I believe so. Written by Jeremy Hahn, uh, with art by Danny Luckert. Uh, it was just kind of a cool setup to what feels like a folky ghost story, you know what I mean? Like, it had this cool art to it, semi-cool, kind of like Phantom Limb-esque presence. Yeah. And then there was some sort of like Slender Manny type creature in it. There's still a lot of layers to it. Like the the yeah, first issue didn't really didn't really give a whole lot away. Um, but I think there's enough there to really be like interested in. You know. Yeah, I like it was a very relatable female character, um, which is always nice. Um, I I enjoyed the flow of it i thought the pacing was very well done mm-hmm. which is not always the case in horror books i feel like a lot of the time horror books try to go like hard all in like as soon as they can mm-hmm. um i've read a few horror books recently where like you know three pages in you're like whoa okay that's evisceration that's that's a lot like, that's ooh. aggressive okay yeah. this one didn't do that this was a slow burn like there wasn't really a, a spookiness like there was some weird stuff that happened, and there's, like, something traumatic that happens early on in the book, but, like, the actual horror elements of the book don't really come in until the last, like, two pages, mm-hmm. which I thought was really nice, because at first, it almost didn't even feel like it was going to be a horror book. Like, you would think by the front cover, and, like, but <clears throat> it could also have just been, like, a commentary on how humanity sucks. Like, you don't know, you, you, mm-hmm. you know, and gang violence. We don't know what's going yeah. on. So, I mean, there definitely is something weird that happens in the beginning. You know what I mean? Like, the yes. first, first, I guess, on-screen, quote-unquote, death that we see is kind of odd. Like, he's, the dude's saying some weird stuff when he True. eventually gets attacked. Um, but, like, nothing's shown. Yeah, that's what You know what, what I mean? Saying. Like, everything's still kept very, like away from the reader he could have just gone nuts you know? too like yeah, you don't know like had a mental break or something i really did like um it opens with that couple interacting so the main character and her boyfriend boyfriend yes interacting and i thought their interaction was really solid like there was definitely like a good representation of like changing up of power it was you know, very, it was very natural. Like they felt like a very organic couple. Well, and it didn't feel overly like gender role stereotype. No, it did not. It was like 
you know, she was the one with, like, cool connections and, like, a cool job, and he was interested in what she was doing, and, like, there's that one exchange they have where she's, like, hey, I, like, playfully, like, hey, I like you, and he's, like, I love you, and she's, like, you better, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, like, that's just cool. It's, like, she didn't say I love you, which is usually the, like, dude thing to, like, avoid, like, oh, I'm not gonna right. say I love you. Um, but you could feel it was there, you know what I mean? But she didn't have to say it. Like, I'm just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I have to say I love you, you know what I mean? Like, it was. And they let her, in that same, like, con, like, line of conversation, they let her be, um, like, owner of her sexuality, which was cool. Because, mm-hmm. like, he starts, like, ooh, you wanna come up? And she's like, after I just ate an entire pizza by myself, are you still into that? And he was like, uh-huh and she's like me too <laughs> like so am i and i'm like see that's nice it's, yeah. it's nice because they felt like a really natural normal like modern couple like yeah, the conversation was very genuine that's that's the <clears throat> biggest vibe i got out of this is that everyone in it feels very like like the dialogue is done very organically yeah you know like from the friend to the therapist to how the main character reacts to the trauma that happens and stuff like that like it's it's all very organic and very real you know what i mean like yeah she doesn't close down in like a overly dramatic way it's just kind of like the normal space somebody might need to take if something bad happens yeah and like her friend isn't like overly pushy or like the cliche of like well why don't you just get over it like you know like that whole sort of thing that's often introduced in these sort of things because you want to make it like antagonistic towards the main character so that later on they could be like you're just being crazy you know right right and then like her therapist same kind of token isn't just inherently like you're going crazy they're like okay well let's figure out what's going on like you said that everything went red in your vision like maybe go see your physician like that this might could be an be actual like yeah, physical yeah. issue which is you're right that's a really good point because a lot of the time like as soon as something like that would happen in a standard horror movie type situation it'd be like maybe we need to up your medication are you are you having any hallucination like it would immediately yeah. lean into like you're going crazy margaret but like it's 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 the yeah it's, it's the difference in tone in horror stories that's kind of evolving um because like traditionally horror stories especially coming out of like the 80s and 90s and the horror movies that you know became hugely popular there and then horror literature and horror comics kind of followed suit it was this idea that like you could never find safety yeah so, like the safe places were always against you so you would always build, like I said, this antagonistic relationship in the safety corners before the horror even happened. So you would have, like, a therapist that's, like, immediately, like, well, Margaret, like, remember that one time you had that psychotic break? Is this another one of those? You know right. what I mean? Like, immediately, like, condescending and, like, unbelieving. You'd have a friend that's very, like, self-centered, and it's like, it's great that you're taking some time, but let's talk about me. You know what I mean? Right. And just doesn't want... the main character's problems to be a problem right and so the main character immediately is just kind of a float in this island you know right um and so when stuff starts going down they remain kind of isolated super alone and that's what builds the tension but there's kind of a new push these days 
where the horror pervades into these safe zones and even though the safe zones are there you're still not safe not because you're isolated not because your you know your safe zones weren't great to begin with but because the horror itself is so what's the word so kind of intangible yeah pervading and omnipotent in its own way which is which in and of itself makes the horror more realistic yeah because in in real life you're gonna have those safe spaces like most of the time like if you have a therapist that's constantly condescending to you you're gonna get a new therapist yeah like if you have a friend who's a you know selfish butthole well then you either start talking to your other friends who are less of selfish buttholes or you've addressed the relationship and you like move away from it Mm -hmm. like people in modern society are are often like logical enough to build themselves safe spaces that can be trusted in times of trauma and chaos Mm -hmm. and so like when you have horror that demonstrates like you have these safe spaces they just don't necessarily matter yeah that is more terrifying because it's more relatable and you're like oh snap this could happen this could be real well and that's what i like about this book is that it sets up what could be like a very cliche kind of zone for the main character um because she even mentions at one point that her friend is like the only thing she's got left you know what i mean yeah she's like this is the only thing and like a little bit of a spoiler but like she loses her boyfriend and her friend is like the only thing she's got left and she has a therapist so she's got like those three elements all of which could be like that cliche of like boyfriend's gone friend is a jerk therapist is condescending and just thinks i'm crazy you yeah. know but they didn't go that route the not. therapist was very caring and very good and the friend was very caring and very good yeah so it's like the safety zones are still there so it's almost like taking a very cliche kind of horror setup and just you know flipping it not even flipping it just filling in the gaps yeah you know what i mean it's taking this rickety wall of the setup and like remortaring the brick and yeah. making it more sturdy and that kind of gives then it gives the writer a challenge to build the horror enough, but it also gives the reader a little bit of excitement because it's like, how are these things going to go wrong? Right. You know, um, a really good example of like early horror stuff that wasn't super horror, but like was still kind of in the midst of when horror movies were all fitting into these cliches of isolating the hero um, that did a good job of giving you safety zones, but then being able to take them away as Buffy. Like, the Buffy group had great foundations. They were all there for each other, and they all cared. But then at any given point in time, the rug would just be pulled, and somebody would fall. You know what I mean? And suddenly the tension would just skyrocket. That's a good point. In modern horror, we see that in things like Hereditary, where, like, yeah, the family is kind of dysfunctional. They argue a lot. They've obviously got problems going on. But what we see as an audience is that they all still care. Yeah. Like, they're all still trying to make it work. And so even though there's arguments going on, the mom and son might argue and have a full-on blowout and, like, not talk to each other for the entire day. But what we see in their private moments is that the son really wants the mom to care about him and doesn't want to fight anymore. And the mom really wants the son to care about her and doesn't want to fight anymore. Yeah. And so, like, that love is there and that safety is there, but the horror elements of that movie overwhelm it overwhelm it yeah you know they are and actually in that movie they're woven into the safety because it's a familial thing that's a it's good hereditary 
So this very safety that we feel from these people that actually care about each other, live in a decent house and like obviously have decent lives, go to decent schools, like these people wherein like, hey, here's our safety net. The horror is part of the safety net. The horror elements are literally woven into the fabric of that familial tie. Yeah. And like that's where I think this one's going in that like even though there's these safety nets, like the horror is going to be a part of it no matter what. Yeah, you're not going to be able to get out of it. And so I think that's really cool. That is dope. I really enjoyed this book. And now I'm out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> Deep critical analysis of horror trends just knocked the wind out of me. <laughs> Welcome to Cover B. This is what we do here. Next book on the docket is another horror installment. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Lucy Claire Redemption. By John Upchurch, written and arted. Um, I like that as a verb. Arted. I like that as a verb. I'm going to use that. Arted. Arted. You arted that. You arted it well. You did some great arting. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Anyway, copyright. Trademark. (laughs) Trademark. You heard it here first. TM. So, Lucy Claire Redemption... um, opens into a scenario in which we have another female lead protagonist who has fallen on hard times clearly has some bad juju in her past and is a wolf werewolf hunter Mm -hmm. which is cool yep um and is being pursued by a group of townsfolk who want her to help get rid of a recent infestation of wolfage. I'm digging it. I love I, the art in this yeah, book. I absolutely love the art. I really like the East meets West sort of culture that they've built. Yeah. Because it's very American, like, buildings and, you know, clothing. And, you know, it opens in, like, a small town diner. But then, like, they go out into the street and there's, like, neon signs like you would see in the streets of like thailand and stuff and they all like obviously worship the kami you know and stuff like that like there's a lot of like east meets west type of culture and type of mythology going on um and i dig it i really dig the main protagonist it felt like a very buffy type character not to mention buffy twice in one episode but it felt like a very buffy type character to me but it was like it was almost like Buffy post jumping into that like hell hole or whatever the hell mouth yeah without having her supporting cast like how she would come out on the other side yeah if she didn't have the support of her friends kind of that like dark place sort of thing you she know was very I mean? faith yeah it was very <laughs> she's, faith she's very faith and I, I thought this was really interesting like there's definitely something they're they're not saying it and I don't know if this is an artistic choice or if this is like a plot point that's going to be addressed but one thing that really stood out to me in the art of this is that she is depicted as having had three daughters. Mm-hmm. We don't know what happened, where they are, what the situation is with that. But she looks incredibly young. Oh, yeah. She is depicted as almost looking like a teenager. Yeah. And they don't talk about it, but I'm curious to know if that's going to be like, like um some sort of supernatural thing if like if she's like a chosen slayer type 
character? Does that mean that she ages slower? Mm-hmm. Does that mean that she's like... Well, I wonder if the three daughters aren't like aspects of herself. Mm. You know what I mean? Because they're all very different. That's a good point. But they all look identical to her. This is And yeah, true. that might just be to push the like, these are my daughters. These are my kids. Thing. But like, there's very little variation in how they look. True. In hair, face, skin tone, like everything. True. And her hair, face, and skin tone are very unique. Like, they're established yeah. to be very unique in this. Um, so I wonder if they're not, like, actually her daughters and more just, like, aspects of herself that she had to, like, sacrifice in order to become this, like, super strong werewolf hunter. You know what I mean? Though they do kind of hint that it's some sort of familial tie. True. They do hint that she was, like, given this gift because, like, Grandma had this gift. Yeah, and yeah. she's like, now you're going to be the wolf hunter. And <clears throat> it's it's interesting how you don't really... I, I agree with your East Meets West because they don't really set up, like, where you are mm-hmm. or what you're doing. Like, it's it's sort of just everywhere. Yeah. It, it's, it's really interesting because it, it's both isolating to the event but also very accommodating to the reader Mm -hmm. like you can find whatever you want to relate to inside of it but it also kind of gives it this like very fairy tale-esque type feeling yeah because without having like this takes place in new york like yeah it could take place in like anywhere and it it does kind of gives it this like fairy tale ethereal unknown a land far away yeah type of type of element to it yeah and they talk about them not as werewolves but as wolves which i think also kind of almost leads into that like unspoken when her being a redhead like big bad wolf little redhead like little red hood Mm -hmm. type type thing little red riding hood type type mythos and i think that's cool it's almost like like modernizing the fairy tale i agree yeah i think it's um i don't know i i I just really like it i think it's a really fun book i like what you said about how you know we don't really know where we are because i i feel like i I love a book with like good world building right but i'm also a hundred percent behind a book that's just gonna focus on the story and doesn't really care about the where right you know what i mean because I feel like if you, especially if you're building something that's kind of a, either a fantastic world or a world that's an amalgamation of other worlds, um, you need to be prepared to either like fully build it or not at all. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You either totally. need to be prepared for world building or not at all. If you're setting it in the real world, then it's easy because you can just be like, we're in New York. We got to get to Philadelphia. And people can be like, I know I get that. I can put those together. You know? Um, but you know, if you don't put enough effort, if you try to build like a amalgamation world or a fantastic world and you don't really put a, you have to put a ton of effort into the world building. And if you don't, it will start to show eventually and it will become kind of tired at some point. It gets that transparency Um, to it. Just from recent examples. And it didn't really like hurt the book at all. I still love the book, but like middle West, in my opinion, has had some of that staggering from time to time okay like they kind of established like this is set in some sort of alternate kind of american midwest you know what i mean right but then like they'll move to different areas and like reference different things and kind of suggest like oh this is this and but it doesn't always fit 
kind of, and right. it feels a little sluggish, you know? A little incongruent. Yeah, it would almost just be better to just have the epic happen. Right. But part of Middle West is this, like, big journey, this, like, big quest, so you have to have the world building there. And I don't know if there was really enough, like, just shy of enough effort put into, like, the really, like, sitting down and being, like, here's a map, boop, 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 you know, let's, like. Let's make sure that all of this lines up exactly yeah. the way that it should. And maybe it could just be my reading of it, but it just felt, it did get sluggish at points. But yeah. like I said, it didn't ruin the book at all. But that's Fair. the problem that can happen if you, like, so if they were like, hey, we're going to do, like, East meets West in America, you know, then you could run into issues of people being like, well, this obviously looks like you're trying to tell me it's Philadelphia. And now this looks like, you know, this city, but it's in a different, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you can run into some like sluggish storytelling if you don't like fully. So sometimes it's better to just say, hey, here's, you know, this wolf slayer fighting wolves in this world. There you go. You know what I mean? And yeah. just not focus as much on the where. And I mean, it. it's really important, too, when you're doing this, that if you're building this world and you're basing it off of some sort of, like, real area of some kind, people want to find things that are wrong. It is part of human nature to pinpoint when you know something that someone else doesn't. It's, like, inherently ingrained in us. I get this all the time. I, I have to do, like marketing emails and stuff and if i send out an email with a typo in it i'm gonna have six staff members mm -hmm. sending me an email being like do you see this typo did this go out do you see this typo i'm like i had an extra space behind a word get <laughs> off my back like but that's the thing is that if you make an error people will go out of their way to be like oh that's not right that's all right and so if you you know kind of like in this scenario if you put something by philadelphia but it feels more like pittsburgh anyone who's in you know, Pennsylvania is going to be like, oh, well, I don't know. You did this and it should have been this and mm -hmm. you used the wrong slang word. And I know this and you don't. You're wrong. <laughs> and that's just like a thing people will do. Yeah. So it can hurt the immersion just because people inherently want to be right and will do anything they can to prove that you're wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's a thing. No, that's fair. And that's, you know, that's the word immersion. Like, I feel like when you start world building, then immersion becomes a thing yeah you know what i mean because like if you're just focused on the story focused on the characters then people will immerse themselves in that they'll oh, yeah. put themselves in the position of one of the characters that they most relate to and just be there but the minute you start world building and you start saying like locations and like really giving a history of the world like here's why we have you know eastern influences here here's why we have like asian language things here but then there's like an american diner right there you know what i mean right. like here's why these two connect um then people will immerse themselves in the world yeah and so the world has to feel real you start to build this virtual reality yep. and if people can see the, the like chinks in the armor then they're gonna latch in on that yep you know what i mean yep um it's like hey we've <laughs> from recent shit we've been watching we've been watching a lot of westworld and that's a lot like of westworld the whole like testing for fidelity thing like one small thing can throw everything, everything off. off and like that's how it is when you world build is like anything that's going to break that immersion video game companies run into that all the time because yep. they'll add something in that's a mechanic that's like yay like this makes sense why not you know and like animals reporting crimes in Skyrim, yeah. you know, which is really just there to keep people from like 
doing a lot of it's realistically probably there to keep people from being like follow me and then murdering people you know what I mean? yeah um or whatever but like it kills the immersion they've built this world and now all of a sudden we have you why know, is this chicken telling a on horse me? being like i saw him murder you know what i mean <laughs> so it's that whole like you know just one thing can really yeah just like just tank tank it so one other thing i wanted to say about this book is that so it's both written and arted by john upchurch i am incredibly impressed at the high quality level of all of the aspects of this book the art is great the dialogue is realistic and consistent and the story is cool very rarely when you have somebody who's doing all of the parts of the book is everything holding up. Like most of the time, like there are very few, first off, there are very few writer artists who do all of it and do all the different pieces, parts. And then when you do, I think the thing that tends to fall to the wayside because it's the hardest thing in writing, in my opinion, maybe this is, you know, whatever I'm projecting, but I find that, there's a lot of um, authors who struggle with dialogue. Um, and that's the first thing to kind of get weak in a book. If you're if you're in comics and it's like every one person doing the whole shebang. And so the fact that there aren't any of those real inherent flaws, like the dialogue doesn't seem inconsistent. The, the, the art is perfect the whole way through. The story still has decent pacing and continues and moves forward. And they did a good job of setting the vignettes up. I I think that's incredibly impressive and like super props to John Upchurch yeah. because that is not like I hate to say it, but I always go in with like a lowered level of expectation when I see that an that someone has both written and arted the book. <laughs> I I always go in like okay, so what part of this is not their strong suit? Because you can't do everything, okay? He righted and arted. He he. He righted and arted. <laughs> Whatever. I love the verb arted. I'm going to yep. be using it forever now. I like it. No. Yep. It's good. So, but that's, that's what I'm saying. Just props to you because usually I just expect something to fall to the wayside because yep. nobody's perfect. Poe body's nerfect. Poe body is nerfect indeed. Speaking of Poe body being nerfect. Uh-oh. Let's, um, let's get into the segment of this episode where Chris has to be really careful. <laughs> Why, you might ask? Yeah, why? Because Chris doesn't want to say overly negative things about a comic legend when he's trying to get his comic book podcast to pick up. (laughs) Oh, no. (coughs) So, on that note... Oh, God. Let's talk Dark Knight Returns, Golden Child. Oh, I'm already uncomfortable. (laughs) Written by Frank Miller... And arted by Raphael Grandpa. Woo! Arted. Um, and that's the part I'm going to focus on, the arted. <laughs> that's a good I'm going to focus on the plan. arted. That's a good plan. Uh, Raphael Grandpa, who I hope I'm actually saying his last name right, because um, it has an okay. accent, a goo. Is it a goo when it goes up, or is it grave? It's a goo. It's it a goo, up. because the grave yeah. is it goes into the grave. It goes down, so... It has an accent agu on the last <laughs> a, and I don't know how you would say that. Grandpa, 
Anyway. From um, He's I don't know. Brazilian comic book artist. Cool. Um, he's done a handful of different things I've read over the past, like, year or so. Like, he did... Uh, Batman Black and White, he did a part on that. He did a uh, piece of a Hellblazer book. He did some Uncanny X-Force covers and stuff. Like, he's been doing a lot of cover work. Okay, cool. Um, and I love his art. Like, I absolutely love his art. And it really shines here. Like, it, it really, really shows through. Like, he does some cool stuff. Um, it's a big step up from the other Dark Knight Returns stuff, in oh, my nice. opinion. Um, from the Frank Miller art, from the Frank Miller Brian Azzarello art, like it's really like elevated, really solid. Um, and yeah, it it like I like his characterization of Carrie. I like his characterization of uh of Laura and of I don't remember what. For the life of me, I can't remember what Superman's other kid was named but that guy um his characterizations of the joker his characterization of uh dark side like it's all very very good it's bright it's like kind of twisty and like you know uh it's like detailed in a unique way i guess is the way to say it like it's it's like uh Uh, I don't know how to... It's kind of, like, fantastically detailed. Oh. Like, proportions are not normal proportions, but they work. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, and I just... I like... I like what he did here. It was cool. That's like, cool. you know, his... Him and Frank Miller, what they've done with Carrie being uh, the new Batwoman uh, is just really stellar. Um like she's very aggressive and very like kind of playful in her own way like she jumps on the joker's roof and then like sticks her head through the skylight and like screams at him <laughs> and then like <laughs> that's awesome lets him get into a horrible wreck and stuff and it uh no it's it like it 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 worked <laughs> okay now, so so now so now tread carefully uh-huh so Frank, yep. How is it written? Um, I okay. So <laughs> let's um. I'm trying to think of the best way to say this without being outwardly effort. Uh, it's bad. Oh no! <laughs> it's um <clears throat> oh, okay. No. It so yeah. It from page to page, like characters will completely change their motivations and their like personas, like their personalities will just drop and change. They'll go from being a hundred percent against Dark Side to being like I don't know what he's saying makes sense to being back to being a hundred percent against Dark Side. They transitions in like scenes are rapid and like with no no transition at all it's literally like we're in this scene and now we're here um what it feels like honestly is that because it's a one shot it's it's a one shot book okay and i feel like it could have been a two or three shot book 
and filled in those gaps. Right. And it would have probably made more sense and been better. Okay. Um, I think, honestly, if you dove into it enough, you could look at it as a critical parody piece on crossover events. Okay. And you could see all those, like, weird transitions as being points, you know, like referential points to like the typical span of like a six issue miniseries crossover right like the sort of things that are typically like cliffhangers at the end of an issue and then by like two pages into the next issue they're over yeah and it was just used to like drum up drama so you buy more issues um i think then leviathan comes to mind admittedly i haven't gone through and done that critical analysis but i was thinking about that the other day i was like i think you could do that i don't think that's the author's intention (laughs) like i think you can justify that that's there that it's a parody of you know big events big crossover events right and that's why it feels so like kind of inconsequential right not kind of in it's inconsequential okay nothing happens um and the things that do happen are bizarre (laughs) are just like the understanding of kryptonians in general and like what and who dark side is in general um is just strange and i i think the biggest like the biggest part that was hard for me um was just like trying to get a grasp on the characters because there's like it's not it's not that there's a lack of character development it's just that the characters are constantly being redeveloped in like just constantly redefining who they are. Yeah, in what, like a 60-page, 60 60-something-page 60 one-shot, like, the characters will be seven different people. Oh, You man. know, like, it opens with Laura and Clark talking about little baby super person. And even though she still kind of has hangover from, like, Dark Knight 3, where she was very, like, anti-humans, like, Kryptonian's good, human's bad, um... She's still like, I'm hopeful, and he's going to teach us lots of things. And then it, like, flashes to the next page, which is, like, a good time later. Like, they've both grown. And she's like, humans suck. Here's why humans suck. Humans are terrible. (laughs) And the the little kid's like, well, but look, they're trying to help each other. And she's like, yeah, because they got into messes of their own creation. Like, all they do is eat and fart and screw and hurt themselves they suck they're trash people they're ruining this planet we're supposed to protect them and like all this stuff oh my god but then like dark side's like hey i'm here time to destroy humanity and she's like no stop you (laughs) that doesn't make any sense okay um the whole concept so the like main i guess story is that uh trump is a plant by the joker and dark side what <laughs> yeah um trump oh my god was implanted by dark side <clears throat> and the joker and they never say trump but uh-huh. you see trump uh-huh um and for those of you who haven't seen trump um if you've ever spilled like an orange julius onto a bad weave this is trump 
Um, Accurate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. If you've ever oh, put the, like, filling of a deviled egg onto a McNugget, it's strong. Uh, that is an accurate yeah. depiction. I, I can need. see it. I can picture it in my head. He's a very unique looking individual. Yeah. To he, say yeah. the least. Nobody else um, looks like Trump. Welcome to the episode where Chris was afraid of insulting Frank Miller, not afraid of insulting the Master Chief. <laughs> like, not afraid of insulting the Commander in Chief, not afraid of insulting the Tyrant of America. Hey, hey, that's because it's an armament, right? Uh, yes, I can call you whatever sort of poultry dish I want to call you. <laughs> That's exactly correct. Um. Anyway, this is getting awkward. Um. So yeah, it that whole story is there. I don't know how it feels, and. It, that's one of the transitionary points that, like, really, like, early on in the book that really, I was like, what? Uh, is, like, it's got Carrie and Laura are in Carrie's, like, base. She's got, like, a gang of bat people at this point. It's actually pretty cool. Okay. And she's, like, basically anti-mobbing the mobs. So there's, like, Joker mobs and Batman mobs fighting each other. Okay. Um... And it's obviously a commentary on, like, you know, the whole, like, alt-right versus Antifa sort of things we've had going on. Okay. Um, and, like, the Hong Kong riots play a factor in all this. And just the general riot nature of the world right now, which is good. Keep it going. Um, and, like, they're hanging out in their base, and Laura's like, Dark Side's coming, Carrie. And, which we haven't heard about Dark Side until this point. So it's like, okay. Dark Side's coming. And Carrie's like, I don't care. He can come. Let him come. And I'm thinking, okay, Darkseid's up in space, and he's coming, right? Right. He's on some sort of spacecraft, and he's going to come to Earth and be like, I am Darkseid. Worship me. Or he's coming from (coughs) the whatever. Flash to, like, a page later, and Darkseid's hanging out in, like, the conference room of Howard Johnson with the Joker at Campaign Central, just staring out a window, being like, this election you've set up, Joker, is the perfect source of chaos. <laughs> uh, uh, and so Darkseid's literally there. He's had a nice continental breakfast, and now he's going to come kick some butt. You know? I'm uncomfortable with this entire book. It's, I don't I don't understand. So backing up to Raphael Grandpa, it's a really nice comic book. Nice. I want to see him do more comics. I would like to see him do more superhero things. That would be great. Um, I'm in support. Because he had a really good understanding of the action. Like, the pacing and the action on the panels felt really, really nice. His way of, like, setting up the panels felt nice without being... Sometimes people can either be over-traditional or over-avant-garde. Like, oh, here's a splash page. Here's another splash page. Yeah. You know, and I feel like he had a better understanding of just filling the page without being one way or the other, you know? Nice. Not doing, like, a Mitch Gerard's like, nine-panel page, like, very, like, set-in-stone nine-panel page, but also not doing, like, countless other artists these days who are just, like, Here's another splash page. Circle panel, circle panel. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know There's a I mean? lot of that right now. Um, There's a lot of that. Which is fine. That's what comic art is these days. But I, I think he did a really good job of mixing up his panel structure um, and really making the flow make sense. Yeah. Um, like, I think the flow of the action and the flow of the script was there in the art. Um, I just think the story overall was... I don't know if Frank Miller should do more than just consult these days. <laughs> that's, that's I um I don't, yeah. I don't want to say that, but like I just it was it was a tough read. It is a tough read. I still recommend getting it cuz it's a good book to look at and it's it's kind of um Oh boy, here we go. Um it's like the room. <laughs> oh, the comic book. Okay, like, you One get of the those. story. You understand where it's going. It just maybe wasn't handled the best way. Getting but that's kind of that's kind of entertaining in its own way. It's like watching a car crash. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like it's um you know it is kind of bizarre and wounded enough that i think you could do a lot of interesting critical analyses off of this like okay. if i was running like a comic book class like if i was like a professor and i had a comic book class yeah i would do like i would make room for this book because i think there's a lot you could do to discuss this book okay it's just like how film theory classes have discussed the room because there's a lot going on yeah yeah and uh but this was tough. <laughs> it was it was admittedly tough to get through, um, but I think it's still worth picking up, kind of because of that. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, that, yeah, no, I understand. In its own that. way, it's kind of this like point in Frank Miller's career, lengthy career, uh, that is still worth looking into. Fair enough. Know? That makes sense. So. And that is all I have to say about that. And with that, we will close out the show. It is done. I'm sure we will hear from Frank Miller's people. <laughs> hey, you want to know what's great, though? Huh. Can't be demonetized, because we're not monetized. Yeah, suck it. Yeah. Uh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to see or hear, uh, experience more Cover B before we're all gone. Yep. Uh, <laughs> before. You can... Before we get canceled <laughs> yeah. in a flame war with Frank Miller. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can find us on our website, coverbepodcast.com, where you can find past episodes. You can find our holiday gift guide, which we will have the next episode of this upcoming week. Yep. You can find our honorable mentions, which we're going to have a handful of for this week in particular. Last week, we didn't actually have a whole lot that we didn't talk about on the show. Mm. But uh, this week, this week we have several we've got books. got a few, yeah. So that'll be good. Definitely check that out. Um, if you're looking for some fun news or more Baby Yoda memes, I'm sorry. I'm really trying to thin it out. One day the Baby Yoda memes will stop. I'm trying. It's it's a slow go. Uh, but you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Cover Me Podcast. Yep. And you can also buy sweet merch on our website. T-shirts, hats, bags. Rep Cover B. Mm -hmm. Be the cool kid on your block. Fongs. No. Nope. Oh. Mm-mm. Nope. No thongs? No. Cover B mm -mm. thongs? No, we're classy. What about cover B briefs? 
the tagline could be cover your D with cover B. I'll consider it. <laughs> yes. Yes. But they're not going to be briefs. They're going to be boxers because that's a lot of text to put on a brief. That's fair. And it would like weirdly hug the yeah, junk. Yeah. It's true. We've derailed. We don't, we don't want our logo hugging anyone's junk. <laughs> we really don't. Welcome back to Cover B where we're not about hugging your junk. That's right. It's you you hug whatever you want. Okay, we got to get out of anyway, here. Anyway, have a fantastic weekend. Uh, we will catch you for the next episode of Cover B. That's right. Peace out, you guys.